0: Uh, So I know a lot of you guys were here last week. Um, If this is your first week, you know, this is a class called How People Change. We're just trying to understand what is the the process or means of sanctification. What does it mean that we become more like Christ? And how can we think about this in just sort of very broad terms? And I made the bad mistake of asking Gary to delete this, only to realize it's probably helpful to have it. But uh, just to kind of give you an idea of where we're at, since I uh, forgot to make a PowerPoint, You know, if we think about the Christian life being sort of a mountain, our goal is to reach the peak, and that is just Christ-likeness. You know, over the course of our life, what is the goal? Is we want to be sanctified to become more like Him. So the goal is to become like Christ. Um, The process or the path is what we're going to be covering today, and that is just uh, progressive sanctification. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. What does it look like to, over time, uh, become more like Jesus uh, throughout the course of our life? What we're gonna be looking at next week are some of the pitfalls. So uh, in this journey, as we're trying to become more like Christ, what are the things that we need to watch out for that we might even assume are sort of spiritual or religious things that are helping us becoming more like Christ, but actually aren't? Uh, Then, you know, after that, we're gonna look at the actual process. So if you're gonna kind of zoom in on the map, what does it look like to actually take those steps Uh, practically, on a daily basis, to become more like Christ, the things that we should be considering and the things without which uh, we're not going to grow the way that God actually calls us to. And then finally, um, to kind of close out the class, we're going to be looking at some pointers, things that, you know, as we're learning to sort of hike on this journey or or go along in this path, uh, what are the things that we can do to be able to help other people, right? So just as we were looking at last week, as much as we're called to grow and pursue Christ herself. just as much we're called to actually help other people as well, right? So the Christian life is um, trying to pursue Christ herself, and then that uh, definition of discipleship we gave is that we're called to help other people become like Christ. And so that's really the, the journey that we're covering here. So today, we're going to be zooming in on this path. What is the path to Christ-likeness? What What is progressive sanctification? And how do we actually um, achieve that? So maybe to start off our time, I'm just curious, um, what has all of your guys' experience been like? As you've walked the Christian life, what have people told you or what have you learned are some of the things that you should be doing, you should be thinking about if you want to become more like Christ uh, over time? I'd just love to hear some thoughts from you guys. Tony. Uh, uh, just a daily word
1: time. Okay. Right, kind of course correct your mm-hmm. life over time, you will more, more and
0: more like
2: Christ. You're reading
0: Yeah. About Okay, that's great. Uh, any idea why that's helpful? Like, what, why is it helpful to read um, oh, the Bible? Oh, yeah. Sorry,
2: I thought I answered that. Yeah, you did, you did. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's helpful because, I mean, uh, it's God's word. It's his word. And if we're seeking to be more and more like
0: him, um, we need to see what he did, how he lived, what he commands of us. He says mm. in John 14, 15, that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, then what are those commandments? We need to know Mm, okay, that's great. Okay. Um, other things that we should consider. How is it that we as people can become more like Christ, pursue sanctification over time? So we have God's Word. Yeah.
1: You just got to put in the work. I mean, part of that is building off of what he said, mm. studying his Word. I mean, there is a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> mm. A lot of stuff. And. Even people with photographic memories, camera, you know, get everything down. Mm. And it's it's easy to forget something you learned, or maybe you saw it at one point in time, had it down. I mean, we've all got goldfish memory, whether right. it it or not, right? yeah. myself included. Yeah. Maybe I've been hit in the head too many times, I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So so there's the element in which we do have to strive or pursue with diligence, right? To know God and it's like constant
1: that. work, if yeah. you got to put it in. If you don't.
0: Mm. Okay, yeah, so there's that element of, uh, you know, personal effort, right? Um, Bob, I think you were raising your hand.
3: Yeah, going along with what <clears throat> Tony was saying, once we become followers of Christ, reading the Word is great, but we need to be taught, led and taught, discipled by someone mm. because it demands a change. And the uh, old habits are hard to give up, mm. but if we don't know what the Word says, that we aren't really saved, right, actually to begin with, we'll never do it. It's difficult being a Christian, reading the Bible and knowing the word to try to follow and do as Christ would have us do, but not to be taught or be discipled by someone makes it even more difficult. Mm. So, and that's one of the things I wish I had had, a church like this as a young man, to someone who would have have discipled me, and how as a Christian you should walk in that, because I wasn't given that, so I stumbled and failed, and messed up for a whole bunch of years. Praise be to God, that's not, that's not the same today, because now I know
0: better. Right, that's great. So as much as we're pursuing Christ ourselves, the Lord uses other people in our lives, right, to speak truth in ways that we wouldn't fully understand on our own. That's great. Um, yeah, so maybe one more. Yeah, Mike. First, avoid pickleball. Second. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. So it's one thing to know the truth, but it's another thing to be diligent to say, "I need to put it into practice." Yeah, that's great. So yeah, and just know we're going to cover a lot of these different elements that you've mentioned. So these are a lot of the the key categories for sure. As we look at, uh, well, I just deleted it, but you know the um, what I have it under the process of how do you actually hike or step forward. So all that's really good. Um, the goal today is to look at, you know, the complexity of how sanctification works, right? What is that path towards sanctification? And um, I was thinking this week about this film I saw back in 2001, an incredible masterpiece of a film. had these really complex characters, this really uh, gripping storyline. Uh, it was called Shrek. Some of you might have heard about it or seen it. <laughs> the Green Ogre It's a cartoon, but... Um, You know, a lot of things about that movie, I I don't remember most of them, but there's kind of this one iconic scene, right, where he's speaking to this talking donkey and, you know, you're like, what on earth is going on? And the donkey's trying to, you know, just learn more about this ogre Shrek and thinking, well, isn't your path pretty simple of what you want to do? And uh, Shrek was trying to explain how, you know, he's actually a lot more complicated than people think. And so he thinks, well, uh, he's, he's eating an onion, he says, ogres are like onions, right? He's like, what do you mean? You know, do you smell or, you know, (laughs) there's all these horrible reasons. He says, no, Um, it's because we have layers like an onion. Uh, There's complexities to how ogres are. We're not just one dimensional. There's different aspects of our personality, motivation, all of the above, you know, that you can consider. And I I bring that up because, too, us humans are like onions. (laughs) We have layers as well. Um, We are complex in the way that we think and what we're motivated by and why we do what we do. There's uh, many different variables that we need to consider. And so as we kind of unpack these next couple of weeks, I hope that you can sort of see the the layeredness to our human experience, how we pursue sanctification and even um, the the way that we think about what's going on in our hearts. And so today we are going to look at that topic of the heart when we want to understand sanctification, and as we saw in that picture just a minute ago, the path to Christ-likeness, right, the journey of progressive sanctification, all that stems from what's going on in our hearts. It's important that we identify and understand how our hearts work and how our hearts change um, so that as we go through the rest of this class, we're always referencing back to this idea, what is going on in our heart? Because that's going to determine everything else in terms of our response how we act, why we act. Um, just a couple of verses to maybe start our time off. And again, I apologize, forgot to make the, the PowerPoint. Something to do with my leg, just sort of slowed <laughs> me down. Um, you know, you can write down these verses. Uh, sometimes we'll, we'll take a moment to look at them, but I'm just going to read two. Uh, one of them is Proverbs 4.23, a well-known passage. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Right, so is the general warning from a, an older man, a father to the son, is saying, guard or keep your heart with all vigilance. Know what's going on in it, for from your heart will flow the springs of life. Everything else that you do is going to come from what's going on in your heart. Um, A known, a well-known psalm, Psalm 51, verse 10, right? This is after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. You know, Nathan, the prophet, had rebuked him. He's confessing his sin before the Lord. He says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Right, so after doing the sin, after he's confessing it before the Lord, he doesn't just say, God, help me to never do that again, right? There, there's elements of that, obviously, that he would be praying as well. But he's saying here, created me a clean heart, oh God, right? What he's focusing on is what's going on internally in his life. And from there flows the way that he's going to be living. And so I think uh, for those of you guys that have your notes, uh, there's a couple different sections. We're going to jump into uh, the next main one. If you're filling out That line is just this, what the heart is. So we're going to spend a little bit of time breaking down what the Bible says about the nature of the internal parts of ourselves or the hearts or who we are. And uh, here's just a, a general way to understand our heart. The heart is the true you. If you want to think about, you know, who are we as a people? What motivates us? The Bible uses the word heart and many synonyms, which we'll see in a second, to describe the core of who we are. The heart refers to the controlling center of our life, our actions. Um, The heart is what determines our motivations, what we do, how we respond to things. It's all stemming from our heart. And one of the passages you see this in uh, comes from Luke 6, 43 to 45. So maybe we'll turn there for a second because this is really a key verse here. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to verse 45. Go ahead and pull that up if you have it. And um, it, it might be easier. I'm happy to have someone read, but it might be easier to follow along if I read it. So I'll just go ahead and do that. Luke six forty three to 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And Jesus is using this illustration of basically trees or bushes with fruits to try to get to the idea that, you know, don't just focus on behavior, right? Don't look at a person's behavior and just think about that. Understand that a person's behavior how we act, how we respond to situations is all an outflow of our heart. And so there's a, an analogy or picture that's often used um, to kind of describe this, right? So if you're picturing sort of um, a, a bunch of trees, right? I, I mentioned this, I am a horrible artist, so this is not gonna look very good. But let's say you have two trees, and they're not even the same size because I don't know what I'm doing, right? So you have two different trees you know, planted next to each other. Let's say one tree just has a bunch of thorns and, and thistles. I know that that's not how trees work, but just follow along with me, right? You have one tree that has all kinds of brambles or briars or rocks, whatever's growing on the tree. And then you have another that has all kinds of great berries and apples and bananas and whatever else doesn't make sense. Money. And money, sure, Yeah, let's say there's money also. Uh, and you're looking at this, right? You have two trees that are under the exact same sun, the same weather, the same uh, sort of situation, if you will. If you have two completely different things growing on, uh, these trees, it's not the sun's fault, right? It's not um, the sun is determining one tree does one thing and the other tree does the other, but really all that is a reflection of what the tree is and what's going on in the roots, right? The reason that one tree is doing well and one tree is dying is because internally there's a lot more things going on um, with both of these trees. And so that's kind of what Jesus is saying here in Luke 6, right? whatever a tree is in its core, it's going to show on the outside. Uh, And then the way that you respond, it's not going to be dictated by the situation, but it's actually going to be based on what's going on in the tree itself or in the heart. And so you can have the same uh, weather, in this case, situations of life. Then you're going to have different fruits or responses to those situations. And the reason why there are these different responses is all tied back to uh, what's going on in the different roots or the hearts of those individuals. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit. Um, You know, when you're looking at the pages of Scripture, right, uh, the Bible is very nuanced and complex in the way that it describes um, life. And so there's a lot of different words that you're going to hear Scripture use, but they're all synonyms for the same idea. right? You might hear how the Bible references our thoughts or our thought life. Uh, You might hear how the Bible references our spirit. You might hear how Scripture passages reference our soul or even the inner man or the inner person. All of those are different uh, words or synonyms for just describing the internal or the real you. Um, There's a lot that can be said there, but we don't have the time to get there. And so I'm just using the word heart as a catch-all for all of those synonyms to talk about what's going on internally in the real us over here. When you're looking at what Scripture says about who we are, the internal us, the heart, um, you can really summarize the heart as two things. It's going to be your worldview, and it's going to be what you worship. Those are just two W's, and there's going to be a third Uh, The heart is our worldview and then our worship. Another way that you can think about that is our core beliefs, the the true way that we really internalize and think about the world, and then our our worship or those core desires that we have, the things that we long for and want the most in life. So again, if we're thinking about uh, these roots being sort of our hearts, you can think about it as those two um, things. So let's see, world and then... um, worship. You can see I have not, I literally have not, I mean, besides signing checks, I never write anything by hand. So this, that's the first time I've written something in a long time. So the heart can be summarized as our worldview and then as our worship. So what is the worldview, right? There's kind of four major categories to think about. I would encourage you to, to write this down. Um, the worldview is what we truly believe about God, what we truly believe about ourselves, what we truly believe about other people and what we truly believe about our circumstances or situations, right? So it's the way that we are perceiving who God is, what he deserves, what he has a right to, how we should relate to him. Uh, It's how we see ourselves in terms of what we're owed, uh, expectations of of what we think we should be or what we should be able to get, um, expectations about other people the way that they should treat us or how they should respond, um, what they should do or be, and then um, the way that we understand our circumstances. And so, again, you look at the pages of Scripture. There's too many verses that we can look at, but you'll notice they're referencing things, right? They're referencing how we should view the Lord right? There's many passages which talk about who we are in Christ and the way that we should see ourselves. Passages about how we should be relating to other people and how we should treat them in good circumstances and bad. And then there's passages which talk about how we should see our circumstances or our trials, right? Look at all the different verses of Scripture. They generally fall into one of these four major categories, Right, So a couple of verses you can look at, but here's just one that's kind of a catch-all. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Right so in this well-known passage is about you know live fully for Christ you know die to yourself live as a sacrifice for him and he says don't be conformed to this world right don't become worldly don't become like um, everyone else that's a, a non-believer but instead be transformed how by the renewal of your mind right the the way that you're thinking internally and what is it that we're seeking to see change, again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, not just in our own strength? It's, the, it's everything that's going in our thinking. And our thinking basically falls in some of these categories here, how we relate to and see God, ourself, other people and circumstances. And so a big part of sanctification, that journey of going up the path over there, is learning to see things, as we would say, biblically. We want to see life the way that Scripture says and defines it. And a big reason of why we sin is because something about our thinking is off. The way that we truly view and perceive God is off. The way that we see ourselves as flawed and skewed and selfish. The way that we relate to other people is filled with um, pride, and the way that we're seeing them is off. All of these, you know, in some sense when we are sinning stems from something wrong with our worldview, These core beliefs of how we um, relate to other people and and circumstances. Uh, The second part about our heart, right? If we're thinking about who we are internally at the core of who we are, we have, of course, our worldview or these core beliefs. And then we have our worship. And what I mean by that isn't always just, hey, I'm going into the sanctuary and I'm worshiping, praising God. What worship truly is, is the idea of what we love and desire the most. it's it's getting at the idea of what is it that we truly cherish in our hearts. Uh, I'll I'll say this later, but there's a difference between our paper theology and our practical theology, right? If I were to ask you a lot of things like, is God worthy of all of our devotion? All of us would raise our hands. Should we go into these uh, worship services genuinely seeking to praise Him? All of us would raise our hands. On paper, a lot of us can have the right kinds of theology, but practically, What I'm saying is at our heart level, there's other things that we believe and that we desire. And so that's what I mean by our worship. What is it that we truly love and desire the most? Uh, One passage we looked at last week Um, is you know Matthew 22 36 to verse 40 right and that's the the summary of how you understand um, the Old Testament law all of the commands that are given to us right it's saying you should love the Lord with all your heart your soul and your mind right we're called to love God fully that's one way to understand this idea of our worship or what's going in our heart another one comes from uh, James chapter 4 1 through 3. Um, so go ahead and write that down if you're taking notes. How do we understand the nature of our worship in our heart? It's what you see in James, and it says this What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, right? So what's the nature of sin according to James? It's yeah, James chapter 4, 1 through 3. It's saying that you have these instinctual based desires in your heart. And they are so strong that when you're not able to get it, you respond with some type of sinful action. Uh, and so that's the idea of our worship here. And so, you know, we know from Scripture, right, we're called to worship, we're called to love, we're called to desire the Lord more than anything else. When we wake up, what does a healthy Christian life look like? We're saying, God, today I want to serve you. I want to please you. I want to honor you. I want to love and cherish you, right? That's the, the base of where we're supposed to start. We, we talked about that last week. In most cases, we're not there, right? You wake up, we're tired, we're groggy, we instantly think about ourselves, But the goal of the Christian life, what what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to be properly motivated is that we're living life from a posture of worshiping the Lord. And so where does sin come from? It's it's saying that somewhere in our hearts, something about our worship is off. There is something or there's someone that we are longing for, desiring, wanting more than God in that moment. Right? And so a big part of progressive sanctification is we want even our desires, right? the core of who we are to be, who the Lord actually is. I love this quote by uh, Paul Tripp. And again, I apologize for not being able to put it up on the screen. He says, Sin is much more than doing the wrong thing. It begins with loving, worshiping, and serving the wrong thing. Right. So when we're thinking about any patterns of sin in our life, anything that, anything that we're doing wrong... You want to be thinking about the fact that it's not just the action itself that you want to focus on, right? You do want to change your action, but even beyond that, deeper than that, you want to be thinking about why did I not do the right thing, right? In this moment, what was I actually longing for or worshiping or loving or wanting more than God? What about the way that I'm seeing the world, my worldview, those core beliefs in my heart is off that's leading me to do um, what I was doing over here? And as we know, right, when we're thinking about worship in this time, it doesn't have to be something that's inherently sinful, right? We can be loving and wanting things that in themselves are fine and they're good, but you're just wanting it and desiring it more than God. Um, you know, for instance, all of us would agree. It would be great to, to have uh, financial stability right I, I just some of us came from that financial stewardship class right it's a good and wise thing to pursue financial stability there's even proverbs and wisdom uh, principles about the nature of being good stewards of what we have right that in itself is a fine desire but when that becomes an idol in our life something that you're saying I absolutely need to have it that's when it becomes something sinful you can say the same thing about um, peace in our life. You know, it's a great thing to want to have uh, good relationships with people, right? That's something we, we should be pursuing as peacemakers. But if it gets to the point where someone in your life is clearly in some kind of a uh, deep sin, and you're saying, you know what, I, I need peace so much in, the, in this relationship, I'm just not going to say the hard truth, right? That's where that's now become an idol in your life. And so all these things that we pursue, which in themselves are good or fine things to pursue, they become sinful when we're worshiping them. And one analogy that often gets brought up, when we think about the Old Testament tribes, right, the, the tribe of Israel and all of those foreign nations as they're worshiping their idols and their pagan gods and whatnot. You know, sometimes we think, man, how crazy is it for Israel to have wanted to bow down to this stone idol, right? Or, you know, the God of Moloch or whoever it might've been. Why on earth would they be motivated to do that when they saw everything that God had already done for them? Well, we have to understand that in that period, uh, religions were very kind of contractual. They were very business-like. You, you worshiped a God not because you thought that God was the best thing ever, but because that was the God of war. Right? So by serving and following that God, you're believing your battles are going to go better for you. Or sometimes you would have the God of fertility. Maybe you know, it's been hard to uh, get pregnant or you know that your tribe is wanting to grow. You're worshiping that God because you know if I do all these things, I'm going to be fertile at the end of this. Or the God of money or harvest, whatever it was. Right Behind the idols that people would follow and worship, there is something deeper that they're actually pursuing. Um, there's something that they are worshiping or desiring that that's not the idol in itself right there's something behind the idol that they're actually wanting and so that's how i would summarize the the, base, the basis of the heart when we want to think about internally what's going on in our lives think about it as our worldview, right our core beliefs of how we're truly seeing circumstances and people and our situations and think about it as what it is that we are truly desiring and longing for in this situation. Right? And again, that could change day to day. That can change moment to moment. But you know, depending on what's going on, there might be something in that moment that you're really, really wanting and desiring. So I know that's quite a bit of stuff. Uh, does, does that make sense? Do you guys have questions about what we're talking about? would love to hear any response or thoughts you guys have. Someone say good? No, yeah, I okay. I actually have a question.
4: Please. I have a situation, a personal situation with my dad, um, and when I, when I hear your words, maybe how does that apply to somebody who doesn't want a change of heart that mm. says, uh, you know, I am a Christian, and it's between me and God, and he doesn't want to hear me speaking truth to him, yeah. especially in a very particular situation. Mm. And, I, and if I come to him and say, and say, you know, I say this out of love, and I say this out of kindness, and I can't let it go, or let it be water under the bridge, but mm-hmm. I, you know, at the same time, I want to honor my parent, but I also want to be obedient to my Father in Heaven by speaking God's Word, and lead mm-hmm. my own earthly dad to God's Word. So, when you say things like, you have to speak the truth, and you want peace so badly, of course I want peace yeah. my, my with my dad, but I...
0: Yeah, like where's the balance right. there? Yeah, yeah.
4: And I'm, I'm battling this because I had a change of heart. You know, I got saved over Easter. So now it's like, you
0: know, hmm.
4: I'm newly saved, so I just want to woo. Right. <laughs> right.
0: You're all going to hell. Going to hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, but,
4: you know, praise God by the Holy Spirit. My words have been hmm. very loving, which is is shocking for me because I, you know, I, I, that's totally the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, yeah. i really, you know, let him have it. Yeah. So now I'm kind of at a point where Hmm. I have talked to him to his face, I've written it down and Hmm. sent it to him, and I've talked to him on the phone. Hmm. Um, So that's three times I've approached him, and yet I still can't, there's still something tugging at my heart that says, no, don't let it go, Hmm. even though his words are, you know.
0: like I'm done, please stop.
4: Well, it's more, it's actually not like that, it's more... It's a little bit more complicated. He's acting mm. more like I'm. I'm very godly, and you're not. Yeah. And okay. It, it, so, of course, it stings, but it doesn't sting me that much. It's mm. not like oh, I'm bruised. It's more like oh no, I really want to show you.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, so, thank you so much you for bringing that up.
4: Do what you said. Like I must yeah. say the truth. Yeah. And not be quiet because otherwise, peace becomes your idol- idolatry. Mm. Um, yeah. But yet you want to share God's word. Yeah. And point him to God's word instead of saying. I think I feel. Right,
0: oh, wrong. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, th- thank you for bringing that up. So t- two things I'll say, maybe three. One, um, mm-hmm. so we'll talk about that in a little bit more depth as we kind of go on through this. So some of this, you know, maybe I'll hold off there. Um, because every situation's unique, there's a lot of factors. I would love to maybe speak with you after the class to talk about it a little bit more, because um, it kind of depends on every situation, what you quote unquote should do might be a little bit different, right? Because like you're saying, you do want to speak the truth. There's a way of doing it tactfully or graciously. There's a point in which you say, okay, in what sense am I, and I you know, say this carefully, casting my pearls before swine, in the sense that you've already said enough, whoever it is just isn't in a place to receive it. And at what point then do you sort of take time, be patient, continue to pray for the Lord to work in his heart, especially if he identifies as a believer. And at times, instead of saying, here's something that I think is the truth that you need to hear, sometimes a, a helpful way of, of helping a person is asking questions to help them see it themselves, right? You're saying, okay, you don't want to hear what I, 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 I'm i here to say. What do you think about? Hebrews 3, 13, 14, right? Exhort one another as long as today, you know, unless you, so you not be hardened by your sin. The reality that we need to have input by other people. A lot can be said there. Um, so maybe we can talk afterwards because there's a lot of dynamics to consider. Yeah, but, but thank you for thinking about that because that's why we're doing this class, right? We don't just want it to be a bunch of stuff that you can walk away and say, hey, look at what I learned. You know, the goal is to think about how can we pursue Christ-likeness ourselves, but then just as much, how can we help other people pursue that as well? Um, okay, so maybe a couple reflection questions to consider, um, you know, you can write this down if you want. Number one, how much do you think about the state of your heart, All right? So if we're saying that, you know, if what the Bible is saying is, you know, so much of how we live is motivated by our heart, our worldview of how we're truly seeing life in situations, our, our worship, what we're desiring, how much do you try to assess the state of your heart? Because as we know, it's easy to just get caught in the busyness of life. It's easy to be just trying to fix our behavior, some of which we'll see that next week. How much are you trying to stop and think about the state of your heart? And then two, why is it, especially for you, so easy to ignore the heart and focus on our actions? You know, What about you specifically, your tendencies and maybe your schedule? Why is it so easy to to just ignore the state of what's going on internally and just focus on um, our behavior? Just two things to maybe consider there. Um, any quick question about what we've covered in that first section? What's making sense? Yeah, Virginia. I
5: want to like kind of propose a third question there. That if there, because I know this isn't everyone, and I'm not going to say that it is, but like, there's an element too where you can reflect so much on your heart that it gets discouraging, mm. or to a point of despair. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a helpful balance of evaluating the heart and reflecting on where your heart is and then looking to Christ Yes yeah. If you spend so long looking at your own heart you can forget that there is actually hope
0: Yes okay that's that's great. so I guess
5: the third question would be how often do you look to
0: Yeah, oh, and that's great. So uh, we'll we'll get to some of that. So thank you for bringing it up now. Yeah, so when we're thinking about the state of our heart, it's not only in a negative, oh, look how awful I am, right? There could be a lot of positive things because part of that right, in our worldview is saying, what is the truth about God or Christ that I need to know in this situation, right? So maybe there's aspects in which, yes, I know I'm, I'm sitting horribly in this and I'm a horrible person, whatever it may be. What are the truths and promises that God has revealed? that then speak as a balm to our soul in that moment. So yeah, so th- that's a good uh, you know, comment or something to consider too. Okay, uh, why don't we move on to the next section. Um, we should have more time for questions and stuff at the end. So the first you know, kind of major point, what the heart is, you know, how do we understand who we are internally? A uh, second part, what does the heart actually do or what the heart does? Should be pretty obvious from what we've already talked about so far. Uh, your heart shapes your works. And I'm just using that because there's a W, so it all kind of stays alliterated. It shapes our works. And a works is basically everything from our actions, right, just what we do unprompted, just as we're living life, the the things that we pursue, you know, how how we're acting or behaving in life. Our works include our responses. So again, when we're in a situation, which is most of life, how are we responding to that? Conflict, a trial. Uh, something going wrong in our job or our money situation, right? All of that sort of responses. But our works, you know, that's not the best word for it, but I also include our emotions as well. That is how we feel when we're responding to situations. Our our emotions are also uh, some of those things that could be included as part of these works or the fruit of our life. Uh, We don't have to look at the, the verse again, but this all flows again from Luke 6, 43 to verse 45. You know, that uh, passage about Jesus talking about the fruit and the treasure of our hearts. Um, all of this comes from here. Whatever is going on internally, in the way that we're seeing life, in the way that we're desiring and worshiping things, that's going to determine then how we actually live. And so then on the, you know, one, way that, one thing to consider there. We often will blame our circumstances for causing us to act a certain way, right? So if we're seeing the sun as kind of the state of of whatever we're going through, it's so easy even for myself to say, well, the reason I did that was I'm really stressed or I'm just super busy or that person treated me horribly, right? You know, we, We make excuses pointing to whatever's going on externally saying, that's the reason I did what I did. But what we have to understand, what you're seeing through scripture is that our circumstances never determine how we're going to respond to situations in life. It's never because something happened that we say, well, it was unavoidable. Therefore, I did what I did. The way that we respond to our circumstances is a reflection of the heart. And so that's where we have to be careful, right? You know, we, we should be cognizant of what's going on and how different things can influence us. But ultimately, why do we respond the way that we do? It's because internally of what's going on there. And so we have to be mindful. Our heart will shape or motivate our works, but then here's on the flip side, and this is where it's really helpful. Therefore, our works, that is our actions, our responses, our emotions, reveal the state of our heart. So there's a a two-way street that we want to understand this you know, what's going on here, what's going on internally will determine how we respond to situations, right? We never blame uh, our response on what's going on. At the same time, we can look at how we're living, the way that we respond to situations and say, what does my response say about who I am? What does my action say about what I truly believe? What do my desires and emotions say about what I'm truly worshiping or desiring in this moment? So it's kind of a two-way street that, you know, it's, it's helpful to be reflective, hopefully not in an overly pensive way, but it's good to take the time to actually think about what's going on here. Um, maybe we'll go through two examples, and, and this is where I'd love to see if, if you guys have any thoughts here. Uh, so this is, this is a hypothetical example, but it happens every year without a doubt. Uh, you know, typically when you go on a vacation, right? Let's say you're trying to fly away in the middle of winter here to go to the Bahamas or something really nice, and you're looking forward to an all expenses paid resort where you're not, well, you already paid for everything, but you can walk wherever you want, eat whatever cake you want, and go jet skiing or snorkeling. And as soon as you get in your layover, there's a terrible blizzard in Minnesota. I don't know why you're there, but there's a terrible blizzard in Minnesota which has grounded your flight for 24 hours. And unfortunately, you're not going to be able to go anymore. Typically, at the airport, you're going to see two different groups of people. Let's just pretend that they're all Christian. You're going to have the complainers, and then you're going to have the content, right? Usually, there's a spectrum, but the two general categories, you have people that are going to take that moment and complain to no end, even as believers. And you're going to have people that they are believers, and they're okay, right? So let's think about some of these categories. Let's look at the complainers first. Uh, what elements of their worldview or their worship might be going on that lead them to complain? Right, so let, let's think about God. What are some elements of how they might be seeing or not seeing God in that moment that would lead them to have this bad attitude? What would you guys say? Blaming God. Okay. Yeah. So maybe they're thinking this is your fault, right? They might they might say it, they might not, but in their heart they might just blame him. Okay. Themselves first. Good. Yeah. So maybe, you know, even if they do believe in, in Jesus, they're so this is also more of self. They, they see that their desires are greater than God's, right? It's good. Or they just have a skewed perspective of God in the first place
5: where they view him more like a
0: genie than they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. So it could be, um, hey, if, if I'm a righteous person, bad things don't happen to good people, right? And so I've been great. I go to church. I tithe. You know, and again, tithing isn't biblical for us today, but you know, this shouldn't happen to me, okay? Uh, What about us? I know that one statement has already been made that was helpful. You know, we're seeing ourselves as the center of the universe perhaps, right? What other kind of core beliefs or worldview can we have about ourselves that would lead to this wrong behavior? Could look at something like a vacation as a
4: need and thinking, I need this. Uh-huh.
0: And not getting in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, so I I've worked X number of months, you know, slaved away for my horrible boss and now I deserve to go on vacation, right? Yeah. That's great. Uh what Yeah. What about uh how you're seeing other people, right? Let's say you're uh, these people are complaining a lot to like the flight attendants. What are some unhelpful or unhealthy ways they're they're viewing people in this situation? That they're
6: better than the people?
0: Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, so if you're bad-mouthing the flight attendant, you're, you know... I think you're better than Yeah, I have the right to talk down to you. Yeah. yeah. good. Okay, uh, what about in the circumstance or situation? How are they viewing just this whole situation wrongly and not biblically? Terribly
2: unfair.
0: Okay, in what sense?
2: Because I'm proud and arrogant.
0: Yeah, okay, good. So so just these circumstances should not happen, right? Because I'm doing them right. Okay. Yeah, okay.
5: They're, they're seeing it, like the way that they're expressing it appears that they're seeing it as if it's unforeseen to them but it's unforeseen to God, like it's outside of God's
0: understanding yeah. of how that should have happened. Yeah, okay, good. So um, again, you know, seeing God as he's not fully in control in that situation and therefore life you know, should go a certain way. Yeah, that's good. yeah okay no that's great so just the, the amount of money alone that you poured in right if it's just all going down the drain that's true uh so let's say the person is complaining what do you think are some of these core desires that they might have or things that they're worshiping in that moment that's causing them to complain and grumble in this situation themselves?
4: yeah
0: okay yeah uh worshiping themselves in what sense
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. so worshiping themselves in the sense of, like, I I deserve this, I should mm-hmm. go, I shouldn't have to wait, like, you're just, you're at the top,
2: you're yeah. alone, so.
0: Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's helpful, that's good.
2: Mm-hmm. Their plans are, I guess, more important than than others, for sure, and God for certain, that, that their their plans
0: are, mm. are, uh, <clears throat> paramount. Yeah. paramount. Yeah, just, I want my fun, right? I want all of these things that I was able to get. A lot of it you can just describe as, I want, I want, I want, right? Things that I, I have my plan, I spent this money, I, I prepared and therefore I must get it, yeah. Um, or I need to go to the Bahamas or I'll die, right? You know, those types of uh, heart desires that maybe you won't say, but you're feeling in that moment, right? Um, Everything you guys are saying is is good, right? There's ways of how our worldview is off, our worship is off, that causes us in the situation to become complainers and grumblers because we're seeing things wrongly.
7: And thinking about this, we perceive perceived that's the situation, all of those are inconveniences to us. But we probably, for the most part, do not think that this is an opportunity to share the gospel.
6: Mm,
0: yeah.
7: This is an opportunity to serve others. Yeah. Whatever their situation may appear to be, uh, at that moment, but it's a great opportune time to share. And then it could indicate: Do you have this peace, where although these circumstances is beyond your control, and if God is in control, all of this is going to work out. Mm but that opportunity where people are under uh, duress Mm. and it's an opportunity to share to provide some comfort with the Word of God uh, to see how you can serve others rather than thinking about what you're entitled to what you believe or feel or think uh, you're entitled to but an opportunity to reach out and share the gospel. Yeah. Not necessarily if you're using words, but some of the things that you would do to help people—a <coughs> mother with children, an older person—can you deny your comfort and help them to be more comfortable in this situation? Mm.
0: Yeah. No, and that's a great point, and that literally goes into this second category, right? But and, and that's perfect. So. How can a person go through this horrible situation? Let's say you're losing ten thousand dollars. You know it's down the drain. All of these plans you made, and come out in a place where you're actually going to be okay. Like you're bummed out, of course, but you know you're not sinning and, and you're able to honor Christ. A lot of the, those things you mentioned are part of the reasons, right? So maybe let's just do some more. What what are ways that you could be viewing God in the situation that would help you be content?
6: want this for me, wouldn't this be the right thing for our marriage, Um, and actually Virginia really helped me see this in a different way, she's like, what is the Lord potentially teaching you and using this situation for, um, to honor himself and to glorify himself, and at first it just felt like, I don't know, I don't see how there's good in this, and then the Lord was able, he was kind to give us a refund on what we had already paid and we were able to use that money to pay for our kids' school um, that fall. And we had no idea that was going to happen, like, that they'd be in school. And hmm. I just see the Lord reworking, like, that in that situation for our family, it was just the importance of our children and caring for them that we wouldn't have been able to otherwise had yeah. we been on that trip. And so I think just seeing that God is above our circumstances, He's above our... What we think is the most important, and he is sovereign, and he sees the big picture, and just to trust him, I think I needed to have a heart that was ready to trust him. That this hurts, this is painful. I'm gonna, and I, you know, confess that to him. But that also, my heart needed to be in a place of trust. Too, mm. what to what else going to do, and
0: how we you be glorified? Yeah, so. that's great. Yeah, and again, sorry that that happened to you, but praise God that, you know, that was <laughs> redeemed and. So maybe some of the things you're saying, you know, recognizing God does have a purpose and a good purpose behind everything that's going on, even if we don't understand, and uh, it is good, right? There's there's a, a positive outcome through all of this, even if you couldn't see it in the moment, right? That's great. Yeah. Other um, ways that we should be seeing ourselves in, in this situation. Uh, first, we'll get to. Yeah, go for it.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, a lot of it's just looking at our own attitudes and keeping our own attitudes in check I mean something you have to everybody needs to understand and take to heart is we're in a fall them. it's not perfect right mm. points so of bad things are gonna happen and we can sit there we can complain we can be like what was me oh this sucks blah 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 and you can get yourself in a pretty bad tizzy <laughs> but ask yourself will it help all you're doing is wasting mental time, energy, when you can be focused towards other things. And your example back there, it's like hindsight's 2020, right? And it ends up working out for the best, and then you're just kind of like, oh. Hmm. I mean, we've all had that happen. Yeah, OK. So it's truly accept the fact that the world is falling. There is bad things that are going to happen, but you can always make lemonade out of it.
0: So. Yeah, OK. Uh, that's good. So, you know, one thing, you know, you're saying is just, yeah, uh, we live in a fallen world, right? So we shouldn't be walking around with this expectation everything is going to go our way. And uh, a lot of other thoughts there, too, um, but maybe just for time. So there's one other quick, uh, you know, s- scenario I want to give you guys. Imagine for a second, uh, you tore your Achilles, right? <laughs> you're going into surgery on Wednesday and uh, it's gonna take two or more months to heal and you don't know if it's gonna get full mobility back or what on earth could happen when you're under the knife. Plus uh, therapy. Yes, plus therapy, right? All of that's there. Uh, what are some, uh, you know, ways that we, sh- we should be directing our worldview? Let- let's keep it on the positive side now. Clearly, there's a lot of unhealthy ways you could take that, right? What are some biblical elements of how we should be seeing life? Right? Ourselves, God, the circumstance, in a way that would be Christ-honoring and also help a person going through a situation like that. What would you guys say? Are you asking for a friend? Yeah, sure. No, it's uh, purely hypothetical. None of these actually happen. Yeah. Yeah.
5: I think the two things I was going to say before uh-huh. actually apply to this as well, yeah. but like, the two things that are helpful for me to think about when something like that happens is The first one is typically the way that my heart responds first is already a gift of the Lord in revealing to me Mm. where I'm worshiping. Mm. Uh, Because it might have, you know, it might have been my hope has been set on pickleball the whole season. And now I can't do that. And actually, it's a gift because I'm realizing that I was placing pickleball above you. And so it's Mm. like helping you realign your priorities and be like, okay, God, you've already given me a gift in helping me put my eyes back on you. And then the second one is, this was something that was taught to me years ago, but is this eternal? Like that's Mm. one of the most helpful things that's ever been told to me Yeah, was just reminding myself like, you know, this could last my whole life, this pain from my Achilles, or I could be hindered in being able to do all of these activities. But at some point, that I am going to have peace in a new body and be present with the Lord. Mm. And this thing that is going on is not
0: eternal. Yeah. Okay, yeah, great general helps that apply to both situations for sure. Um, yeah. Were you going to say something, Bob? Oh, yes, no,
3: but. Oh. <laughs> I already asked It's
0: fine. I thought you raised your hand.
3: back to the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a time and a place for everything under mm. the sun. And in those moments when we don't know for sure, we need to just take a moment and give thought. Why does God me to be here instead of here? Mm. And again, like someone else said earlier, take those moments. You might there might be someone he's gonna put in front of you you need to speak to. Mm. about him? So look on the bright side as opposed to the negative side when you have situations like that. Because life has this problem. We're mm. gonna go through them. We're in this world. Yeah. We can't get away from them, but do not let them control
0: you. Yeah, this. good. Right so side. so Okay, good. Yeah, so some of the desires are saying how can I honor God in this situation, right? How can God be allowing this to happen so I can minister to certain people in a way that I couldn't before? Yeah, those are all good desires to build over time. Maybe one or two more.
2: Yeah, I, I have an experience. I just went through an accident last November, or last, yeah, December, and broke some ribs and lost the laundry, and uh, I guess the Remembering that this is God's will and God's in control of everything. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that it could always have been worse. Um, no matter how bad it appears, you, you still see God's protective hand in, in the yes. situation because um, your mind goes to, well, it could have been this or I could have done this or it could have been, you know. So it's always good to remember that. Yeah. And, and, and then to, to be reminded from, from a theistic worldview that because god is in control um there's something good that's going to come out of it it may be an opportunity to witness to others um it may be an opportunity to come alongside someone else and comfort them Mm -hmm. when they're having a difficult time it also gets you out of work you don't that's your wife wants to do. <laughs> That's
0: right. Yeah. Uh, sorry, honey, I can't weed the yard for like two years. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, yeah. Oh yeah, so so that that's really helpful, right? Yeah. How <laughs> how is God using this to refine me in ways that maybe wouldn't have happened otherwise, you know, in this life? And, and maybe piggybacking what you know what Virginia said, and this is something I've been preaching to myself. Uh, often right and not just with this situation but a lot of things is that this entire world is going to burn right we are not going to own anything here I mean praise God we were able to buy our house last year after many years of saving that's going to burn my foot's going to right none of this is going to carry on eternally um, only our relationship with Christ and everything that we have to look forward to right and so um, that's just one helpful example that hopefully all of us can consider as well But hopefully you guys are getting what what we're trying to do, right? Again, our our heart is what's going to determine or influence how we respond to situations. We're never forced into how we respond. uh, And then in the same way, we can look at how we're living as a reflection of our hearts. And so I hope we're doing both of those things. And and we're going to get into how we actually do this in just a second. Let me give you another quote by Paul Tripp because I think it's helpful. says, if you want to know what you're really living for, If you want to know what really controls your heart, don't look at your confessional theology. That's what I'm calling your paper theology. Look at where you find joy. Look at where you run after pleasure. Look at what makes you angry. Look at what you hate. Look at what you love. And you will begin to understand what is really an effective, functional, street-level control of your heart. So I'm not saying theology isn't important because we need it, and we're going to go more into that over time. But he's trying to say, if you want to know what you truly are, what you're truly living for, pay attention to how you're responding, both in your actions but also in your emotions and your desires. Think about why you're angry over what you're angry for. Is it truly something that God's Word would say you should be angry for? If not, that means something is off about how you're seeing life. There's probably some kind of idol in your life, in your, in your heart. Is there a reason or something that you just really desire, so much so that it's making you bitter or envious towards another person or, or crabby when you talk to someone that has something? Right? It, maybe the thing you want in it isn't wrong, but there's probably something off about how you're seeing life that's unbiblical. There's something that you're worshiping or wanting that's off. So pay attention to what's going on in your life because it'll show you who you truly are. Again, a couple reflection questions to think about. Uh, This should be pretty obvious, but how can you regularly use your works, right? That is your actions, responses, and emotions as a barometer for what's going on in your heart. What would that look like for you today? As you're thinking about this upcoming week, how can you practically do this? And then kind of connected to that, How do you need to clear your schedule so you have time to do so? That just goes for everything in the Christian life, right? Uh, Most common problem (laughs) when you talk to people struggling to just have that ongoing relationship with Christ. But this applies too for this self-reflection and praying back what we're struggling through to the Lord. How can you make sure that you're putting that relationship as paramount in your life before everything else? Make sure you're making time to spend time with the Lord and really know what's going on there. Hopefully that's been helpful. Yeah. I'm
5: sorry. I know I've talked a lot, but I have something that's like right in this arena. Um, Confessional and functional theology was something we talked about in our book study on gospel treason because gospel treason goes through uh, those two. And afterwards, I started this practice with some people that I meet with where like I would write down my confessional theology and then have that person write down my functional theology because Hmm. I think I can deceive myself. You know what I mean? Like, or as I'm writing down my functional theology, I can justify it. Um, But when someone else who's like a spouse or a best friend or a discipleship kind of relationship where there's a vulnerability and willingness to be honest, it's so helpful to have someone else who sees your reactions, your responses, your all of those different things where you don't necessarily see that in yourself, Mm. it's so helpful to have someone else do that, Mm. to be able to confront things that maybe you yourself would justify.
0: Yeah, okay, no, that's a good word. And uh, yeah, so part of it is, you know, you do everything you can yourself, and as we'll see in in a couple weeks, we need the input of other people. So we do it ourselves, but because we can be so blind, we need the input, the exhortation, the loving correction of the church. So that's a good word. Um, yeah, so just think about that. How are you making sure that you are doing this? That you don't just go about life, but you're saying, Lord, what is going on here? You help me to understand your word so I can work through whatever issues are going on. So we've seen what the heart is, what the heart does. Finally, and very quickly, I don't think I even left a space on here. What the heart needs, it needs to be changed, right? This is where we need to focus for sanctification. Going back to that picture I, I deleted, the path towards Christ-likeness is... The the path towards progressive sanctification is heart change, is allowing God's word as we engage with it, as we engage with people and our circumstances to correct the way that we are living and who we are at our core. And so think about this, right? So here's a couple applications to consider as we're closing out our time. You can put this under your conclusion section. When you're seeking Christ-likeness or change over time, seek change at all three levels. Your worldview That is, how do I need to allow Scripture over time to change the way that I'm seeing God, seeing myself, seeing our circumstances, seeing the way that I'm treating other people? How can I allow God's Word through my own personal devotions and relating to other people shape what I'm truly desiring or wanting most uh, in, in any given scenario? And then how can I seek to change my works or my behavior as well, right? So you do want to correct what you're doing, and there's times where you need to take more intensive effort towards that, but don't just focus on the behavior alone, right? You do seek to change your behavior, but beyond that, think about how can I use God's word to shape what's going on internally here? And so that's the first just general practical thought. Seek change at three levels. Uh, secondly, we already mentioned this, know the difference between paper theology and practical theology. We want to study God's Word. We want to know its truthful. We want to go to Bible studies and engage in talking with people. But just know that because you can recite something, it doesn't mean you actually believe it in your heart. That's, that, that's where the meditation and the power of the Holy Spirit comes from, is that what we know in our head truly becomes something that we trust in and, and prioritize in our life. So know the difference between paper theology and practical theology. And then finally, and this is hopefully a, a big encouragement, one of the things that we started off the class with last week was 2 Peter 1.3. Does anyone remember generally what that verse was, was saying or talking about? Ashley, you're, you're shaking your head, yeah? Yes, yeah, exactly right. God has given us his divine powers granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Right? So, so many times when we're thinking about spiritual change, it's easy to say, you know what, I really need to pay $200 an hour to go talk to this professional because he's the one that's going to be able to give me all the psychological things that's wrong with me, right? You can think about all these things that we go to before we say, what does God's word actually say? You know, if there's one thing you're walking away from this class, I, I hope that you're encouraged to believe that God's word does have all of the answers. Because if the true core issue always is something that's going on in our hearts and there's a spiritual issue there, that means that the Bible has the solution for you, that God uses his word to speak to the core trauma or issue that you have. And that means, or that doesn't mean that your situation will always change, right? Maybe you'll go through whatever the hard work situation or health issue is, right? You're not going to be able to read a passage and say, look, oh, everything is, is fine and dandy. But what scripture does have and promise us is the ability to change you and the way that you respond to that situation. That maybe stays that way for the rest of your life, but God has given you everything you need so that you would be changed. And so I hope that you would be finding that encouraging. That's why one of the basic things we need is to know and delight in God's word. It's why any kind of devotional or discipleship relationship or new believer, you always start with saying, look, you need to be in God's word, not just because you're trying to force a behavior, but because that's where change will always start from. One more passage I'll close with because we know it well. Uh, Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. How is it sharp? It's piercing to the division of a soul and of spirit, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's by knowing God's word that we can know exactly what's going. on, That God can do His surgical word, uh, His surgical work. That's why we need it ourselves, but also we need it from other people. So, uh, I know that's a lot. Uh, depending on your background, maybe a lot of this is familiar. This might be brand new to some of us. Uh, what, what do you, What do you guys think? What are your takeaways? What are your questions?
8: You know, I just keep not hearing His, the scripture says I put into you a new heart I mean that's our foundation
7: mm-hmm.
8: he has given us a new heart and each time and I had it yesterday and I had it this morning where I was confronted with a situation and the natural me mis- mm-hmm. but the new heart says I want to please the Lord. Mm. And so I check that response because I have a new heart. Yeah. And we all who have been born again. We grow. I love what this lady in the front said. This is this is the growing. Mm-hmm. Don't make excuses. Mm. No, there's no excuse. The reason the flight was delayed was because we trust in our hearts. We trusted that if we really trust what we say, we trust the Lord's in control. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's good. While I don't understand. I thank Him because I have put my trust in Him to guide and direct, and I will respect what He brings into my life.
4: Mm.
8: Yeah. So, I mean, that is, to me, what I have grown into and we'll continue, like I said, even yesterday and even this morning, right here in this building. I had to check myself and say, the new heart. The
0: new yeah. heart. yeah, amen. And uh, again, tying back to what we had talked about last week, you know, we do everything we can in our human effort in the sense that we're called to strive for holiness and we're called to pursue the Lord, knowing that it starts with the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who's first changed us and enables our ability to um, do the things that we're called to do, yeah.
7: And my question is, well, it's not going to be a quick one, but I think it's important for this type of um, uh, class that we're engaging in talking about the behavior and the trusting and understanding uh, God's word and the application of that word to our everyday life. Could you help us and explain to us what is the position of the church here when it comes to perhaps persons who may be taking medication for particular Hmm. behavior? Hmm. um, Because I would like to know uh, about the chemical imbalances that can occur. With persons, different individuals, or mm. uh, a malfunction that may have occurred in the body mm. uh, at birth or a person that was born with it. But yeah. what is the position when we're speaking about how the scripture helps us with everyday situations, problems, difficulty, etc.? of when that individual may get to a point in their life where they need some help from a physician?
0: Yeah, okay, that's a great question. Like you're saying, it's not a a quick answer. Um, So I'll I'll try to give a a brief one here. If anyone has questions, happy to talk about it more. So as far as I know, I don't think we have an official church policy in the sense that we have some kind of written document that's been affirmed. Um, But I do know the general counsel we would say and give is that, you know, there are some, you know, uh, circumstances like, for instance, types of depression, which can be truly biologically rooted, right, in which for a person, after, you know, some diagnosis they're saying, hey, I think there's some kind of chemical imbalance, and by taking meds, this can be helpful to be able to not respond in certain ways or feel certain emotions. So we would say there's definitely a place for true medical help. Um, We would also say, based on what we're seeing in scripture, if most of our issues are truly spiritual, many of the times the reason why a person feels bad or might need some type of medication, let's say it's ADHD or depression or whatnot, is really having a spiritual root, right? Whether it is um, pride or worship of something to where the reason they feel bad isn't because of something biological, but it's actually a spiritual heart issue. And so in those cases, we would say, yeah, you, you don't need medication, you really need heart change, right? You need to study God's word and, and seek him. Um, so that's sort of a, a very general surface answer. There's a lot more depth and complexity there, but hopefully that's helpful. And if you have questions, uh, we can definitely talk after this. So, all right, so um, we're basically out of time. So we're going to go ahead and close here with just a couple announcements. Let me-